We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. There are more fringe scientists, especially those involved in what's called string theory, who posit multi-universes that existed prior to the Big Bang, let's say, that collided together and in this universe was born that there are layers and layers of universes that we are yet to discover. And just because we can't measure them, it doesn't mean they don't exist. And that someday there will be enough data acquired to prove that there are other universes contiguous to our own and be understood at some point that that's a reality. But it's not accepted in general in the scientific community right now. Well, you use the word testable. I think that's something that most people can sort of relate to in the sense that many, many things that seem very strange to us today will not be that way 10, 20, 30 years from now. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 197, Universe or Multiverse? The Jury is out. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Good morning, Harry. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing today? Pretty good, thanks. Ready to start uh, TSP 197 this morning. We've only got four more to go to 200. Can you believe that? That's incredible. What a lovely uh, journey we've gone on so far. Almost six years? Yeah, six years in July. Wow. And all of the different worlds we've entered into in our conversations, all the universes of ideas. And today we're going to be talking about the idea of the multiverse. And the title of our podcast today is Universe or Multiverse? The Jury is Out. Order in the court. Yeah, order in the court. To tell you the truth, Peter, this idea and this conversation really excites me, the idea of it, because the notion that we have many, many universes that are possible to inhabit or live in or visit or somehow reach is outrageous in a way because all we ever have known essentially is this one world, this one reality. But the idea has been explored in arts, in movies, in books, in religion, etc. And the idea that we're not sort of trapped in this one reality to me is a bit of a relief in a way. It offers a kind of hope for those of us who feel strangely kind of claustrophobic on this planet. I don't know about you. I may not feel exactly the same way because I come at it from a different angle, but I do understand exactly what you're saying about the infinite possibilities. I've always felt that we were relatively insignificant, and this discussion, I think, is going to confirm that in terms of where we are in the larger spectrum, meaning that most of what we do, what we think about and worry about really, in the end, doesn't end up amounting to much. And when you mention the claustrophobia that you might experience and the excitement you feel about the subject, first of all, I would have guessed that from all the conversations we've had over five or six years, because you've always leaned more in that direction than I did. Not that I don't acknowledge it or experience it, I do, but I tend to be a little bit more practical, perhaps, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from a day-to-day -day perspective. For example, heaven, hell, and earth, those are three dimensions that uh, I would typically begin with when I'm thinking about multiverse. Before I go to the universe and quantum physics and the rest of it, mm. my realm tends to be more in the where I'm grounded right now kind of thinking. So in answer to your question about how I feel about it, that's my broad response to that. Well, you mentioned heaven, hell, and earth, and really that's a religious 
angle. And religion, in some respects, has a lot to do with the spawning of the idea of this multiverse because you take, for example, the Tibetan bardo, the Book of the Dead, where there are all of these after-death universes or worlds or places that you go through, you travel through to get to ultimate enlightenment. And then in Christianity, you've got your heaven and hell and purgatory. There are different places, and there are literally places that you end up and have to atone for your sins or sit at the right hand of God if you're in heaven or what have you. But there really are different worlds to the world we live in now. And whether it's a promise to get to heaven or a warning that you're going to go to hell, it's essentially saying there are more worlds than just the world we're inhabiting now. And be prepared because you're going to be going there after death. But even in real life, there is the intimation that there are more worlds than just the world we're living in, even if you just take the world of dreams, for example. Well, I was just going to go there, Harry, because when you started talking about heaven, hell, and earth, when I mentioned it, I mentioned it kind of offhandedly because, as you know, I'm not a very religious person, not in the ceremonial sense anyway. So I was referring to them more as just terms that are quickly related to or understood. The determinism, free will, dreams, heaven, hell, earth, those are just terms that I use to sort of describe a multiverse in more practical terms. Yeah, and just let's take dreams, for example, because you've mentioned determinism and free will and dreams. Those are different sort of aspects. So let's look at dreams just in particular. People around the planet go to bed every night, and we don't dream every night or we're not aware of our dreaming every night, but many people do and remember their dreams. And when they recount them, more often than not, they're not mundane dreams of this reality. They have aspects of this reality, but they're distorted or they're more fantastical or they break the laws of the known universe. You may be flying in one dream or swimming under the ocean like a fish. And all of these experiences are shared. And then we wake up and we listen to them, those dreams, and then we shake it off and we enter our day. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we don't give those experiences more or equal validity or credence to the experiences we have during the day, our daylight hours. And I wonder why that is. Why does the dream life get second banana and isn't given the same importance or reality as the reality we experience in our daily life? See, right there, there's the idea of there's other worlds, and we're just discounting them for some reason that I don't understand. Maybe you do. Well, I would go further than say discounting. We almost dismiss it. Yeah. Not everyone, because there are some people or groups of people who are very interested in dreams, who even keep logs of their dreams, who consciously go to bed wanting to remember their dreams and have a practice that they adopt that enables them to do that. I've heard a couple of people tell me how they dream in color, in excessive detail. But I think you're right. I think in general, we don't give it much weight. We dismiss it as something, as you say, fantastical. Mm -hmm. And perhaps uh, sometimes also for reasons that some dreams can be quite disturbing. And so people would rather not entertain them as reality in order to avoid that particular discomfort or pain yeah. and just get on with their daily life. When people say there's no chance that there's a multiverse, I mean, there's no proof of it, etc., they're basically saying, I don't want to go there. Exactly. <laughs> I just don't want to go there. It's too scary. But for the world of artists and writers and filmmakers, it's an adventure. 
it's an interesting exploration into consciousness and into reality. And we've had many, many examples of books and films that we'll talk about here that have explored that idea. And the most recent one, I think both of us have seen this film that's up for an Oscar, as a matter of fact, which is called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And you've seen it. Maybe you could just say a little bit about what you experienced when you were watching that film. I only saw it last week. And part of the reason why I chose to view it was because I knew we were going to be doing this podcast. And I was curious to see what all the hoopla was about. Been a lot of discussion about this film. And admittedly, it took me a little while. I gave it time because it's not your typical Hollywood movie. And it deals with things that are either not understood or are sci-fi in nature. These are not worlds that any of us actually know. We talk about these things. They're not things that are actually experienced daily in our lives. They can be, but generally in our minds, we don't have physical validation of a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. I found the movie at times challenging to follow, but I was always curious about where it was going to be taken because it jumped back and forth in terms of what these characters were experiencing. And essentially, to simplify it, Basically, when I finished watching the movie, without getting into too many more details, it just kind of confirmed what I already think about certain things, and that is that we concern ourselves with far more than we need to in our daily lives. So my final thought on this movie was whether you believe in these things or not, the possibilities are so infinite. If you've ever sat down and thought about or tried to think about where the universe ends, virtually anything is possible. Whether or not you believe in it, whether or not you're looking at it for entertainment value, whether or not you're looking to explore ideas or thoughts. So that's my kind of take on the movie. I don't think it will appeal to everyone. I think you have to have not just an imagination, but you have to be in the mood for something that isn't just in your face playing out comedy or entertainment. Right. And I think we should just let people know who haven't seen the film that the film, in a way, assumes that there is a multiverse many universes out there. And the main character of the film, who is this woman who owns a laundromat with her husband, she's essentially told that she's been chosen to enter into the multiverse to actually fight off or defeat this sort of rogue god or goddess, if you like, who is kind of wreaking havoc and creating chaos in the multiverse. And it turns out that it's her daughter in another character form who is this so-called evil goddess wreaking this havoc. And it's an incredible film. It bounces through different realities in such blinding speed at times that it's disorienting. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's a fascinating movie just because it echoes other attempts to look into that world. And movies like, going back more than 20 years, there was a film called Sliding Doors, starring Gwyneth Paltrow, where this woman on the tube in London rushes to catch the train and she slips through the door of the trains just before it closes and she also doesn't slip through the doors. The doors close before she gets through and suddenly there's two realities, one of her having gotten in through those doors and one of them having not. And those two realities play themselves out as a life and they're completely different lives. And so the possibility of what if something happened to prevent me from doing something or what if I was able to do that something leads to two different paths through reality in two different lives. So there was that film, 
Groundhog Day, which was interesting with Bill Murray, where the idea that there can be loops in time and you could have a world in which every day is the same day, essentially, playing itself out over and over again. Some of the Star Trek episodes explored that. TV shows like Time Tunnel. Time travel is, in a sense, visiting different worlds, different places in time, which are, in a way, different worlds as well. Time travel is something that almost everyone thinks about in one form or another, even in our own personal lives, desires to go back in time to see if we could change something or go forward in time, which is almost a childlike thought as well. Yep. It's something that we think about just in our day-to-day lives. And so the whole idea of understanding time travel is really a good way to introduce to someone the whole concept of multi-universes if they don't want to delve into the quantum physics and all these other things that we talk about, mm-hmm. or space-time continuum, the speed of light, changing time, or travel in space, and so on. Time travel here on Earth is a great introduction to that whole concept. Sure. But as you mentioned, the idea of the scientific view of the multiverse is really that the mainstream scientific community doesn't really give it much thought in a way. It doesn't really think it's possible that there is a multiverse because it isn't really testable. You can't find evidence of it, therefore it likely doesn't exist. But there are more fringe scientists, especially those involved in what's called string theory, who posit multi-universes that existed prior to the Big Bang, let's say, that collided together and in this universe was born that there are layers and layers of universes that we are yet to discover. And just because we can't measure them, it doesn't mean they don't exist. And that someday there will be enough data acquired to prove that there are other universes contiguous to our own and be understood at some point that that's a reality. But it's not accepted in general in the scientific community right now. Well, you use the word testable. I think that's something that most people can sort of relate to in the sense that many, many things that seem very strange to us today will not be that way 10, 20, 30 years from now. Just like many things that we thought of the turn of the century that were impossible are now routine practices or routine things that we live with. Yeah. So a lot of this thinking about whether something is possible or not really also depends on when and what is the technology at the time and what has been the learning curve up to that point in time and what is going on. So what I find interesting about this whole concept of multi-universes is that it makes it almost impossible to dismiss any idea because, as I said, there's no measuring stick on things that we haven't discovered yet. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. In other words, something that may be, seem impossible here might be completely ordinary in the next universe over. Or in the next decade. Or in the next decade in this universe. But you said something interesting too. You talked about possibility, but there's also probability. And another interesting side dish to this idea, Mm -hmm. Elon Musk has talked about this a fair bit. And he's basically saying that there is the probability that this reality that we're experiencing is not real at all. It's a virtual reality. It's a simulated universe. And that there are likely billions of simulated universes out there, and we're only one of them. And as in video games, you remember when Pong was the most sophisticated video game on the planet 30 years ago or something? In the 70s. 
Yeah, and look at where we are now with video games, virtual reality, Oculus, Oculus Risk, and some of these technologies that are immersive and that you basically cannot tell the difference between reality and simulation. And so Elon Musk is saying, imagine that there were some programmers hundreds or thousands of years ago that generated these programs and how sophisticated they are to the point where we could be in a simulated universe and not even realize it. So that's another way of talking about the idea of multiple universes, that there are virtual universes that are multiple and infinite. And while you're talking about that technology and multi-universes and so on, again, bringing it back to things that are actually happening in our world right now, of understanding the technology that we have today, the sophisticated algorithms, there are computers right now that are being utilized and created that are infinitely more powerful than the standard computers that we've come to understand and recognize. And what I'm talking about in the simplest terms is classical computers are generally processing data in bits, in units of information that are either one or zero, for example. That's the building block of our basic computing that we use every day in our phones and our home computers and so on. But they are now building quantum computers that rely on not bits, they call them, I think it's qubits, one and zeros operating at the same time, if you can imagine that. Now, we're used to one and zeros being selected. It's one or the other. Quantum computers run them simultaneously because the data, they say, can exist in multiple states. Ah. So a quantum computer can perform multiple operations simultaneously instead of one by one. Now, again, without getting too complicated about this, what this results in is a computer that is multiple, multiple times more powerful than the computers we recognize today, which in itself can take you to places that we've never been. You mentioned the quantum computing. In quantum physics, there is a concept called entanglement. And I won't go into details, but it's essentially to do with the way an electron spins and how when it goes through a certain filter, it actually ends up sort of splitting, if you like. Essentially, it's saying that an electron can be in two different places at the same time, mm -hmm. which runs counter to our normal sense of lawfulness and consensus reality. But it's there as an idea in quantum physics. And so how to accommodate that strange finding is one of those anomalies in the quantum physics world that scientists are grappling with all the time because it seems to run counter to what our normal reality would suggest is possible. So these are large and crazy notions and these are the kinds of things that are in the world now that people are talking about and moving closer to because of the onrush of technology and supercomputers, as you say, and big data, that sort of thing, because it can give you entry into these worlds. Think about this too, Peter. At the end of the known universe, beyond the edge of the universe that science can measure, we don't know whether the laws of this universe that we're living in, that we're all aware of, the laws of gravity and all those things that we take for granted, we don't know that those laws actually exist beyond the edge of the universe that we can measure. It could be completely different. The laws can be totally different at a certain point in space beyond which we haven't gone yet and can't go. Mm -hmm. We can say, well, it's not probable, but we cannot discount that idea. 
even in our day-to-day world, going back to the ground in our world, Mm -hmm. think about clinical psychology and psychotherapy and the idea that there are people on this planet who are suffering from what's called multiple personality disorder. And what does that actually mean? Well, in practice, what it means is different personalities, different characters pop out of the same person at different times and are very, very different in their character and their personality and are living different lives, so to speak, within the one person, the same person. Places where our consciousness can go because of its nature, but our physical bodies can't. I think about it simply in terms of our brain function, because our brain is determinant in terms of what we experience, what we feel, what we see, at least as far as we know it. Mm-hmm. And when you hear that we're only using 5 or 10% of our capacity, who knows what's in the other 90%? Well, exactly. Or where we can explore next, what worlds can we explore through our consciousness? And one of the tools that humans have discovered to aid in those explorations are uh, psychedelics, teacher plants, LSD, those kinds of drugs Mm -hmm. that have taken people on so-called trips. They call them trips for a reason, a psychedelic trip. The sense is that you're traveling to a different reality, a place where there's a different order of business, a different lawfulness, and the experiences that people talk about when they take these drugs and go on these trips really feels like a different reality. I've had the experience as well in my younger years. I ingested psychedelics, like a lot of people did in the 70s, 80s, and had these kinds of experiences where the world I was in was completely different from our normal world. And for those who think that this is all kind of um, 1960s flower power stuff, we're not talking in that manner. We're talking about something that is being scientifically researched that's being used to diagnose and to work with mental anxiety, depression, all kinds of problems that we run into our day-to-day lives. And this is being used to help people. Mm. So this channeling that you're talking about has very direct and specific applications, even in our practical day-to-day life. They're not just hocus-pocus things or people just getting high for the sake of getting high. Yeah. These are explorative things that are being scientifically monitored and proven and adjusted as we go. Yeah. Now, not as much now because there was a point where the use of psychedelics in clinical practice was outlawed, was verboten. There was an early time when the use of psychedelics to help people who were suffering from schizophrenia and psychosis was heavily in use. And it was used to kind of help people break out of the world they were in, the world of madness or whatever illusion they were in and give them a completely different take on reality. And it was seen to be very helpful. And then it was outlawed, the whole war on drugs thing. And I'm not sure recently whether they've actually eased up on that and are using it more in actual practice, but Mm -hmm. I hope so, because it's a very effective tool as well. I just would like to go back for a moment to discuss the multi-universe on something that we all sort of understand. And we mentioned that it already at the beginning of the podcast, which is the world of dreams. Mm. And I was listening to a very interesting interview with uh, James Cameron, director of the Avatar films, Titanic and so on, very well known. And he described how much dreams have impacted his creativity over the years and how many of his films the ideas have come from dreams, Mm. including Terminator, 
including aspects of Avatar. His career has been greatly affected by what he has experienced through his dreams. So this is something that we can actually talk about or discuss what people are experiencing on a day-to-day basis without even knowing about the science or about the intricacies of scientific investigation. This is simply something that we experience when we go to sleep and when we wake up. For those of us that remember, there are some phenomenal stories that come out of people divulging their experiences during the dreaming process. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. And dreams have inspired art forever. I think it was the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam, a famous poem is inspired by, I think it was an opium dream, but a dream nonetheless, which is interesting because to me, the important question to ask now towards the end of this podcast, and we haven't even covered all the other films and movies, books like Slaughterhouse-Five, Source Code, the recent Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Marvel Comics. Yeah. The question is, what are the repercussions of discovering that the multiverse is real and operational? What if there was evidence? What if we knew it was real and operational? How would we change? Would we change the way we lived our lives? So that's the question I'd like to throw out there. What do you think, Peter? I believe that Again, as I mentioned, I think in the beginning of the podcast, there's a relativity or a relevance that I would get out of all this, meaning that these infinite possibilities or these realms that are yet to be discovered or understood brings home to me the fact that in our day-to-day lives, many of the things we concern ourselves with would be really irrelevant if these worlds are really there and come to fruition or become part of our essence. Because, for example, if if something's happening in a multi-universe, as we see in a movie, did it happen or didn't it happen? If I don't think it happened, then what does it matter? Why ponder something that happened yesterday for the next three weeks when maybe it didn't happen at all? I'm kind of being way out there in my response. The point I'm trying to make is that if you take all these things into account, It just gives you a whole different perspective of what you deem important in your day-to-day living. Mm -hmm. And also the ability to change one's life. There was a series of books that came out back in the 1970s, 80s by Jane Roberts, who was a trance psychic. And she went into trance in this entity who called himself Seth. And he was supposedly an amalgamation of many different selves basically espoused the idea that life is multidimensional, that there are dimensions contiguous to our own, rate accessible, that we're just not aware of. And if we could become aware of them, we could enter into them and learn lessons and bring back wisdom from those lifetimes and bring them to bear in our own which would mean that we would be able to shift dimensions and then come back and change the way we would respond to our spouse or to our boss or to whatever happens in the world to us based upon an understanding drawn from a different reality. If we could allow ourselves to be fluid in that way, we could grow more deeply and profoundly and be wiser in the way we operate in the world. So, I mean, that might be one of the repercussions of understanding that the multiverse is real that we are fluid beings, we're not stuck, we're not trapped. The claustrophobia could dissipate if we were able to 
grab that idea and move with it in certain ways. Exactly, which means that we can expand our own possibilities based on that so that when we're confronted with a situation where we think we don't have alternate choices, knowing what we just discussed perhaps widens the possibilities and and gives you more room to find alternate to the situations that you're in and therefore gives you a greater chance or a wider choice Mm -hmm. of things that would enable you to navigate without feeling restricted or as restricted. Yeah, if I could, in each moment, in each encounter I have in this reality, if I were able to say to myself inwardly, what if I go against my immediate impulse, which is to punch this guy's face in? What if I soften and find a way and become an Aikido master that maybe I was in another dimension and deflect this person's energy and give them back Uh, love and sensitivity and gentleness. And to take that moment to do that and maybe decide to do that would change the whole way that the situation would evolve, right? So it can be a practical thing to consider that other universes could be connected to our own and we can make different choices, as you say, if we take a moment and consider them and give them the possibility of existing, then we could enter into those possibilities and then play them out and learn and evolve in a different way. And I think it's also an egocentric humbling because when you acknowledge these things that we've just discussed, your own personal importance is put into perspective. You're not that important in the grand scheme of things. And if we remove that part of ourselves in every situation, everything becomes a little bit more manageable if we drop our egos and understand the complexities of situations. And oddly enough, Appreciate the simplicity of that. Mm-hmm. Sure. There are some wonderful books by uh, Carlos Castaneda that came out in the 70s that I read. And in those books, his shaman teacher teaches him about these two general worlds. So the world of the tonal, T-O-N-A-L, which is the world that we know, everything that we're aware of, the physical world and all of that. And then there's the world of the Nahual, N-A-G-U-A-L, the Nahual or Nagual. Mm which is the world of the unknown that we can enter into and explore. It's dangerous, though. You have to be aware and awake and and do some training, but you can enter into the world of the unknown, which is a different world altogether. And if we can become brave explorers in that way, then we can allow ourselves to entertain the idea that there are other worlds and to go into them with our eyes wide open and perhaps learn something to be awake to the possibility in our individual lives. And it might just improve your appreciation for day-to-day things. It doesn't always have to be complicated to be fruitful. Exactly. And speaking of appreciation, we always appreciate you guys out there and you wonderful women out there listening in to give us your thoughts about these things that we chat about and jaw on about. Send in your comments. There's an audio record button or just text. Let us know what you think about what we're talking about. Give us other ideas. And the majority of responses we've had over the years have been from women. So we're seeing if the men out there would care to chime in a little bit more as well. Well, that's very interesting you say that because in some ways, the feminine sort of psyche tends to be a bit more open in a way to different ways of approaching reality. A feminine psyche tends to circle around 
an issue or an idea or a thought and kind of swirl around it in certain very gentle, interesting ways, whereas the male psyche wants to go right to the heart of it immediately. And the male psyche can often shut doors rather than open doors. So I think to foster the feminine in us might be a good way of creating a tool to enter into other worlds. How about that? I love it. Great way to end it. Have a good one, Peter. Ciao. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.